Hello, Dementia Matters podcast listeners. Thank you for returning to the podcast during this COVID-19 pandemic. I know you have a lot on your mind, and despite being at home, I know life is not easy. It's an understatement to say we are living in an extraordinary time, but whatever you want to call this ongoing experience, it is asking extraordinary things of us. And life doesn't just stop because of it, which is why this podcast continues. I want to pivot here on Dementia Matters and address important issues affecting those with cognitive impairment and those without during this COVID-19 coronavirus pandemic. I cannot cover all the issues and frankly shouldn't. I encourage you to go to trusted sources for specific information, such as the U.S. Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, your state and local health department websites, and the Alzheimer's Association. You can also find resources on our website at adrc.wisc.edu, that's adrc.wisc.edu, and that of the Wisconsin Alzheimer's Institute at wai.wisc.edu. For other interesting and important stories on the COVID-19 pandemic, I would recommend my colleague at UW Health, Dr. Jonathan Kohler of the Surgery Set Podcast, who has a special series called The Frontlines of COVID. We will include these links to all these resources in our show notes. For those of you affected by Alzheimer's disease or any cause of cognitive impairment, you know better than anyone that it takes a community to care for those affected and to work on the front lines of treatment, prevention, and cure. What we face with COVID-19 is no different. We all are needed in this fight, and I thank you for whatever it is that you're doing. Take care and be safe. My guest today on Dementia Matters is Ms. Kate Kalas, a program manager for the Alzheimer's Association Wisconsin chapter. She provides community education programs and support services to our residents, businesses, and professionals in Northeast Wisconsin. Kate has a background as a nursing home administrator and holds a bachelor's in business and psychology from UW-Eau Claire. Welcome, Kate, to Dementia Matters. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be talking with you, though again, I wish it were under different circumstances. The COVID-19 pandemic and its consequences are, in fact, the reason I'm excited to be interviewing you today. On our program, I want to focus on what care, support, and education resources are available for caregivers during this shelter at home. So to start, you know, the traditional support group meets in person. So given the current situation of people needing to stay at home, what changes have been made so caregivers can still stay connected? The Alzheimer's Association has transitioned many of our caregiver support groups nationwide to virtual offerings. Um, Some support groups are still being offered with their regular facilitator and regular attendees through um, telephone formats, and other support groups have started up as new support groups that are available to anyone um, nationwide to join. Some of them are offered via a webinar format, so things like Google Hangouts or BlueJeans are a few formats we use where you can actually see other participants, Um, but many of our support groups are offered via telephone. Um, And the reason for that is we have a lot of people without either reliable internet access or without the resources to access a computer or a webinar-based format. So a lot of them are via telephone. 
The Alzheimer's Association also has an online message board for caregivers and persons with dementia that has always been available. It's called Alls Connected, and it's open to any person caring for someone with dementia. And there's also a separate forum for folks who have memory impairment themselves to connect with other people who are experiencing some of the same things that they are. So you guys were actually pretty well prepared for a situation like this in that you already had a lot of this web-based um, meetings and you already had the, the, the forums that, that you're currently uh, recommending to people. Yeah, we did. You know, we try really hard to connect with people um, in whatever community they might be in. So even if we don't have offices in that community, um, we have a really, really strong network of volunteers um, and individuals who partner with us that help us to reach people in many communities and that often relies on technology. Um, so we, we did have a number of resources available to us, which have been really helpful um, in this transition. We've also partnered with a lot of like local aging resource centers in Wisconsin. They're called the Aging and Disability Resource Centers. I know they're different things in, in different places, but partnered with many of them to um, help share some of that technology so that they can continue support groups in their communities as well. And despite that technology, though, we still at times rely on the good old telephone to do um, the service and the, and the community work. And I can I appreciate the fact that you guys have your 24-7 phone number and that you're doing these visits via telephone. I can tell you from a geriatric clinic, that's often the, the best way for us to reach our patients. Um, so what what is the 24-7 phone number that you have? Yeah, so our helpline or our contact center is 800-272-3900. And that is a 24-7 resource. So we always have care consultants available any time of day, any day of the year. Um, I always tell people you can call on Christmas at 2 a.m. if you want to, and there will be someone available to talk to you. Um, those can be questions about resources. It can be questions about, you know, how do I connect with a support group? Um, or it can really be, this is this is the situation I'm in right now. I'm really struggling with this behavior from my loved one or I'm really struggling with this family dynamic situation and we're not all on the same page and how do we move forward? Um, sometimes folks call too and say, you know, how do I know when it's time to move to the next level of care? And what questions do I ask when I'm, when I'm working with providers to determine who's appropriate for that next level of care? So we can help with a variety of issues um, within that 24-7 helpline, and they always refer to local staff when local follow-up is needed. That's wonderful. And I'm, and I'm, we'll, we will have that phone number on our website for those that are listening um, based off of the website. But going back to the support groups, are there different support groups for families with loved ones in facilities versus people living at home? Yeah, we have a number of different support groups right now. Um, one of our really popular weekly support groups that right now is occurring every Friday um, is something that that came about because of this COVID-19 situation. We recognized that there were a lot of families who are in a, a really an unprecedented situation where they cannot visit their loved ones in long-term care facilities which just makes this process so much more difficult due to those visitor restrictions. Um, so we started a support group for family members who have a loved one in a facility. 
And um, there's just some wonderful conversations, suggestions, empathy that happens within that support group of people who can really appreciate and connect with one another in a way that other people in their life maybe right now can't understand how difficult that is. So um, that is one support group that has been uh, unique right now, but I think incredibly vital for those who are attending. Have you by any chance been able to be a part of that support group? Yes. So I actually facilitate that support group. Um, and it, right now it's a Wisconsin-based support group. So we have folks from all over the state of Wisconsin who participate in that group. Um, there's a lot of different you know, support groups nationwide. Um, this one right now is Wisconsin-based. And we do limit the number of attendees just so that everyone has an opportunity to really share their challenges and their successes and have time for feedback from others. Um, so we limit it and require registration for that one. Well, I don't mean to put you on the spot, but I've been getting a lot of questions in clinic about uh, family members who are concerned about what to do or how to cope with the anxiety they feel having their loved one in a care facility. And while many of them talk about trying to move that loved one out, most of them just want advice on, well, what should I be doing with my loved one in the care facility? Do you have any general recommendations for our audience members who might be having those questions? Yeah, this comes up a lot in that support group. And I think the number one piece of advice that is shared by a lot of participants in that support group is communication with the facility. Um, I know that can be really challenging, especially if we're talking about facilities who maybe have positive cases and staff are really, you know, burdened with some of some of the new day-to-day -day tasks. But if you can find a staff member, whether it's the activity director or the social worker, um, or a, a caregiver who you have a really strong relationship with that you can get regular communication from and potentially send regular communication to. Um, if they have photo releases that you can sign so that they can send pictures back and forth of um, your loved one, many of these facilities have invested in tablets so that they can Skype. We do recognize and, and we get feedback that Skype can be really challenging for persons with dementia because they may not understand the use of that technology. Um, but it for those that it works for, we hear really successful stories. Um, other folks ask that the facility send pictures of their loved one participating um, in some type of activity in their room or of meals that they have eaten um, just so that they still feel connected to their loved one and that they can ensure that the care that's being received um, is appropriate. But there's there's just a lot of things to consider. So I know that's something we see on social media a lot. And we just encourage people to think really carefully about whether or not that is um, appropriate, helpful, and useful in their situation. Yeah, a lot of thought needs to go into this whole process, including just even visiting the people we care about. So I appreciate you saying that. You know, in Wisconsin, as I'm sure across the country and the world, you know, many people live in the rural parts uh, where internet access isn't always uh, reliable or guaranteed to have it. What kinds of things are being offered in those kinds of circumstances? 
Yeah. You know, I actually, I live in one of those areas that a lot of folks can't get reliable internet. And so we're really sensitive to that. We offer call-in options for all of our meetings. So um, even from a volunteer standpoint, if people are calling in for volunteer meetings and, and it's a webinar meeting, they can call in using a telephone. We offer education programs um, in a webinar format, which allows people to see the PowerPoint slides. And if we have someone who lives in an area where they don't get reliable internet or perhaps um, their family just has not purchased internet, we can send them the PowerPoint slides um, actually via mail ahead of time. And they can call in with their telephone and follow the, the paper slides in front of them while we narrate the presentation. So we are always cognizant of that while we are presenting, um, that we recognize that there's a number of folks who are listening but not able to see our slides. And so uh, we do our very best to make sure that they get the materials ahead of time and that we present in a way that doesn't rely on um, visual teaching. And I imagine the Alzheimer's Association is encountering new issues or unique situations with caregivers because of the isolation from stay at home. You know, what kinds of things are you hearing or seeing and how are you addressing them? Absolutely. Many caregivers utilize services like respite care or adult day programming or memory cafes that help with that social engagement piece for their loved one. And it also helps to provide a break for caregivers. And COVID-19 has really upended um, many of those routines. So um, with that limited contact outside of the household and, and avoiding exposure to their loved one, a lot of caregivers have chosen to, um, in some cases, even discontinue home care services. Now, that's not a recommendation if that's something that your loved one needs, um, but for folks who are doing it as a break for the caregiver that they feel they don't need right now, um, they may have chosen to to stop that service. And so that presents a lot of unique challenges for caregivers. And so we've really had to work on that risk-benefit analysis um, of, you know, there is certainly risk with anyone coming into the home, but what benefit is that providing to you and your loved one? And, and does the benefit outweigh the risk or vice versa. Um, and we've also had to figure out how to still engage their loved one um, socially. So putting together plans for family to connect. Um, I spoke with a, a family just this week who um, they, they were having difficulty with um, using a telephone or using Skype with their loved one who had dementia. So the extended family actually put together a calendar so that she would receive a mailed card every single day of this um, shutdown so that she still had connection to family. So these are unique things that I think we haven't um, experienced in many situations. Um, but working on some of those, you know, how can we change the routine um, to give that person with dementia some structure um, some engagement with family, um, some creativity, um, whether it's through art. Many people have had great success with the virtual tours of um, museums and national parks. Um, so working with those resources that we have um, to really make sure that the caregiver is cared for and the person with dementia is as well. 
It is amazing, the creativity of people and communities and the museums and things like that. When, when we hit a crisis like we currently are in, it's matched by mm -hmm. the power of the community. Um, yeah. I'm always impressed by what people are able to do to connect with their family members. And, and you spoke to the fact that you're encouraging people to develop these routines and to come up with these activities. You know, what kinds of activities are you recommending for caregivers themselves to stay healthy, as well as those that have uh, some form of cognitive impairment, be it dementia or mild cognitive impairment? Yeah. So under normal circumstances, we often encourage caregivers to find time for themselves. Um, and in, in the COVID-19 circumstance, we still recommend the same thing, but it looks different. Um, if, you know, if they can't have someone come to the home to sit with their loved one, um, if they can't leave the home um, for extended periods of time, that may become more challenging. But we do recommend that those caregivers who can leave the home for a short period of time do go for a walk if they can do that while safely practicing social distancing. Um, if they cannot leave their loved one at home, we're really working with them on finding moments and space to themselves where they can take a break. Um, if their loved one is able to, you know, participate in some of those virtual tours or watch a favorite movie or um, if they can put out some bird feeds so that their loved one can watch the birds or look through old photos, that can sometimes give them enough time to take a quiet bath or go into another room and have a private phone conversation um, while their loved one's tuned into some television show so that they can still connect with their friends and their family members. Um, if they can find some time to take a nap, whether that's, you know, while their loved one is napping or participating in one of those safe activities, um, that's a good idea as well. I think a lot of people right now are feeling tired um, mentally and spiritually. So um, that resting, meditating, praying, all of those things are really good ways for people to um, find some inner peace right now while their routine is disrupted. Um, of course, we also recommend that the physical safety requirement. So eating a balanced diet is really important um, now more than ever, both for our mental well-being, as well as really making sure that our, our bodies are healthy in the event that um, a caregiver does develop COVID-19. So um, really paying attention to, to those physical aspects of health as well. And now if a caregiver is working on care planning, which many are thinking about the future, what resources are available to them knowing that we can't be meeting in person? Yeah, so they can contact the 24-7 helpline at any time, and we can assist with care planning. Um, but we also have a tool on our website. It's an interactive tool called the Alzheimer's Navigator, and that can assist with care planning. So it guides you through a series of questions and helps to um, determine next steps. Oh, that's wonderful. Um, and I would I would put in a plug, too, to speak to... Um the person, the patient's uh, primary care provider or memory care provider, because I know that we are, are contacting our patients asking about care preferences during this time too. Yes, absolutely. I guess to end, Kate, you know, what key resources from the Alzheimer's Association do you want our audience to know about right now that you think if they have questions, this is the place to start? Absolutely. So there's there's actually three um, that I would recommend if you can 
kind of keep these three in your mind, you will be able to find the answers to a lot of things. Um, the first is that 24-7 helpline. So again, that number, um, like you said, will be on the website and is 800-272-3900. So that resource is very helpful. They can help with individual needs as well as trying to find programs or support groups in your area. Um, but if you want to just go through and browse and see um, where, what support groups are happening, um, you know, what education programs could I participate in, then the Community Resource Finder is that second resource that would be a, a great one. And that can be found at alz.org slash crf, the CRF standing for Community Resource Finder. So that website allows you to go in, click what it is that you're looking for, um, it might be a support group. It might be an education program. If you're someone who is having memory concerns, but you have not yet connected to a geriatrician or um, even to a primary care provider, you can select that type of information as well and, and search that that's what you're looking for in that community resource finder. Punch in your zip code and it will help you locate what services are available in your area. So that is great at any time, but especially now we have made sure to filter um, that program so that only virtual services are shown. So every single support group or education program that is listed out there is being offered virtually. So um, I think when you first search, it will default about 500 miles that you can see programs and services happening within a 500 mile radius of that zip code you enter you can you can adjust that zip code radius if you would like to um, but it gives you a, a ton of options and then the final and third um, resources our general web website which is alz.org and there's a lot of good information there's a whole section on covid-19 um, and caregiving during covid-19 as well as caregiving tips or tips for living well with Alzheimer's disease and other dementias at any time. Well, thank you so much for all of the information and the resources, Kate. I want to thank you again for being on Dementia Matters, and we do hope to have you on in the future after the COVID-19 pandemic. Thank you so much. Please subscribe to Dementia Matters on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Podbean, or wherever you get your podcasts. And rate us on your favorite podcast app, it helps other people find our show and lets us know how we're doing. Dementia Matters is brought to you by the Wisconsin Alzheimer's Disease Research Center. The Wisconsin Alzheimer's Disease Research Center combines academic, clinical, and research expertise from the University of Wisconsin School of Medicine and Public Health and the Geriatric Research, Education, and Clinical Center of the William S. Middleton Memorial Veterans Hospital in Madison, Wisconsin. It receives funding from private university, state, and national sources, including a grant from the National Institutes of Health for Alzheimer's Disease Centers. This episode was produced by Bonnie Nutkinson and edited by Bashir Adin. Our musical jingle is Organisms by Chad Crouch. Check out our website at adrc.wisc.edu. That's adrc.wisc.edu. You can also follow us on Twitter and Facebook. If you have any questions or comments, please email us at dementiamatters at medicine.wisc.edu. That's dementiamatters at medicine.wisc.edu. Thanks for listening.